0: that music means your next hour is going to be about connection welcome to this show is all about you a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common when you and me become we explore what it means for all of us here's your host historian writer social commentator and a whole lot of other things jdk winnekin
1: and hello again everyone welcome to another episode of this show is all about you thank you so much for taking the next hour to spend with me i will do the best i can to make sure it is worth your time as we talk about and dig into the things that are going on around us, maybe in looking at it in a little bit of a different way than we normally do, and hopefully in the midst of all of it, find something to really connect to within ourselves and with each other. Uh, really happy to have you here. If you are listening uh, to this live today, drive carefully out there on the freeways. If you are listening to this a podcast, thank you so much for subscribing, leaving me a review. I appreciate it. And remember, you can get this wherever you get your podcasts. If on this episode, any other episodes there are more than a hundred episodes for you to choose from. So I encourage you to take a look. You can find more, uh, find out more about me at my website, words by You can also find out uh, how to connect with me. If you look for me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, W Y N E K E N is my weird spelled last name. And if you find me there, uh, please send me a note. Let me know what you think of the show. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit. See what we can connect on. Would appreciate that opportunity. Want to thank at the front end of the show here, our longtime sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities to underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers, of which there are literally hundreds. But they do so in such a way that helps students connect with themselves to feel more empowered, to advocate for themselves, and to better connect with their families and their communities. If you'd like to know more about the amazing work that they do at Airway Science for Kids, Check them out at airsci, A-I-R-S-C-I dot org, and you'll hear more about them during the commercial breaks. So thanks to them. And thank you to all of you. I uh, was, did not do a show last week. I had one of those weeks that was really full with a lot of stuff. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what kind of came out of that because there were some important things that happened last week in my life uh, that I will certainly get to, like I always do in my update that I give you every single week. Or the weeks that i'm here <laughs> but but first let's start as we always do with what you've come to expect the front end a look a look back at the week's news in the what in the world is going on segment.
0: spring is here after winter's frozen horror and the buzz and sting of ukraine's looming counter-offensive is growing Aiming at Russian positions, within 30 seconds, the Ukrainian unit has moved away. It may be a precise operation, but the Russian response is not. Slamming into the nearby town, edging closer to us.
1: Of course, that is uh, focused on this upcoming spring offensive that the Ukrainian military has been talking about and everyone has been expecting now for a number of weeks. A little bit of a weird situation this week in that the uh, Ukrainian defense minister came out and said, we're just about ready to do this. It's not normally something that you do. If you're going to launch a major offensive, you don't normally, you know, pick up the bugle and blow on the bugle when you're about to charge. Those days are long gone. However... Uh, that isn't something necessarily that was happening here, at least according to not only the Ukrainian Defense Ministry, but also uh, their NATO allies, effectively just saying that this is still in the works and that the country is ready. That can certainly be a way to put pressure on the Russians, to let them know something is coming, to get them to perhaps do do things differently on their end. There can be a number of different reasons why such a message was put out publicly. Uh, what is... For certain, though, is that we are at that point, that deep breath before the plunge. It might be easy to turn this into something that the war is either going to hinge, is going to go one way or the other on the basis of what the Ukrainians do in this offensive. That may or may not be true. Just because they're about to launch one doesn't, A, mean that it's going to be successful, and B, that even if it is, that it's going to end the war. It just means that a new phase is coming. It will be telling in the sense that this offensive will be coming Built on Western weapons, those tanks, those rocket systems, those aircraft that the that NATO has been supplying over all these months. According to um, one report from the American uh, Pentagon, 98 percent of the promised weapons that Ukraine uh, had asked for have been delivered. And so they're ready to use them. So the plunge is coming. Uh, What it will do in the long run remains to be seen. Uh, Meanwhile, the attacks go back and forth. And Russia seems to be evacuating some of their headquarters in northern Crimea, which seems to suggest that perhaps um, they're aware that that may be a target in this upcoming offensive. So more more to come. uh, But certainly one way or the other, uh, things are going to start moving quickly now that winter has passed. All right. And closer to home, uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about this because I wasn't here last week, but um, pretty big thing happened in court the other day. But to set up to set up this next clip. I decided to pick somebody making a joke about the, uh, the Fox News massive settlement with Dominion voting machines. Here we
0: go. Look like everybody got a little piece of that settlement money from Fox News. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that, because I'm not going to have Dominion on my ass. I love Dominion. Matter of fact, let me just say right now, my favorite voting machine is <laughs> Dominion voting machines. When I go to the polls, I make
1: sure it is a Dominion machine that I use. If your election needs the truth, put Dominion in your booth. <laughs> I just love that. That is comedian Roy Wood Jr. Uh, emceeing the White House Correspondents Dinner, that big annual event that's held every year it was over the weekend, uh, in which uh, all the uh, correspondents from Washington City get together and essentially make fun of themselves and make fun of Major figures in politics, President Biden was there, actually did pretty well, uh, I, I thought. But I, what I really wanted to talk about was that settlement, the nearly $800 million settlement that Fox News made with Dominion voting, uh, voting machines in that defamation suit that Dominion brought forward. Um, by, all, by now, you've certainly caught up on how that all came together. Very last minute, very 11th hour, a deal was struck on that. And in the aftermath of that, in the past week, Uh, It appears Fox News is beginning to call the herd, if you you will. Uh, Tucker Carlson has been ousted. There's rumors that others who were also in the forefront of putting forward these claims, uh, false claims, about the elections being stolen through Dominion machines may also be let go of their jobs. And it's raised a whole lot of questions about um, what culpability looks like uh, in the media the fact that Fox News didn't have to issue an apology for any of this on air or otherwise has some people um, up in arms a little bit about that. For me, though, what it's indicative is something as I took a deep breath and stepped back um, in all of it. It reminds me of just the power of platforms like this. Uh, when people listen or watch something on television, uh, they have the right to assume that the person in front of them is putting something forward to them in good faith that is based in the truth. And unfortunately, what's happened over a number of years, long before this happened at Fox News, um, in that news division, is that the actual news division at Fox, which is actually pretty good, the people who do the news, Chris Wallace and others were there for a long period of time. That was made smaller and smaller and smaller as the entertainment programming, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and all those other ones, they were given more and more space. Those were opinion Uh, opinion pieces, opinion shows uh, that built ratings, built ratings, built ratings. And somewhere along the line, Fox became really okay between blurring the line between news and entertainment and keeping viewers. That's really what's come out of it. And as soon as an entity that size becomes focused on just keeping eyeballs on the screen or ears listening um, at the expense of the truth, then suddenly what happens is you have, in this case, millions upon millions of people over millions, if not billions of hours, being lied to being misled and in the end to me that is the big thing it's not whether people should believe fox news or not or if those people are stupid or not i don't go there to me is they were lying and people were lied to and there are millions of their viewers who have been misled for a very long time to the point where a lot of them now don't know the difference between a news division and an entertainment division and that's part of the damage here and 800 million dollars is a is a good hit and hopefully that will mean that, that Fox News will take on more responsibility. I, for one, am not going to hold my breath. But at this point, Fox News is in the position of having to prove that. Not to ha- we're not in a position of needing to believe that just because they were willing to pay out $800 million. And it's not over for them because uh, <laughs> there's another company that's also suing them for defamation for $1.6 billion, And that's still on the way. Okay. So those are my thoughts uh, on that. All right. So now that I am back in the saddle, um, I normally talk about what's going on with me at the end of the show. And I'm still going to do that. uh, But I want to bring some of it forward um, and talk about it in this this first segment, because it is germane to uh, what I want to talk about today. And last week was (laughs) really, really busy for me. Uh, you know, in addition to all the things that I'm doing, you know, this this podcast, uh, my podcast with Tawny Santabria, Breaking Up With RBS and the book project that she and I are working on there. I have a, a novel. You guys have heard about it. I have a novel that I'm pitching to publishers. Um, I have a day job, believe it or not, that keeps me very busy. I'm part of um, a networking group. Uh, there's something I know that I'm missing. that's um, <laughs> in there. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm doing a lot of stuff. And last week all of it started coming together, not just in terms of me needing to make decisions on some things, but to the point of me looking out like in my mind's eye going, I have so many things moving, I don't even know where to put my focus. To the point, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you, but it reminds me of, you know, you see those videos of sharks coming up on Schools of Fish and the Schools of Fish, they actually gather together because it makes it so hard. There's so many of them in the school the shark doesn't know where to go, right? If those fish were all the things I'm working on, I was the shark, <laughs> not sure where to go. And so really what I started spending the week doing in the midst of everything was taking some time away and really spending some time on my own away from all those things, not trying to make decisions, relax, relaxing, getting into myself a little bit and getting grounded. Tawny and I talk about it a lot on our podcast, uh, getting centered. And with that came some realizations and some revelations about how to move forward in all of these different areas. And that includes on this show. And I'm excited because the opportunity is coming along at a really good time. I'm excited to to say if you are in the Seattle area and you listen to this show um, and or if you wish you could, and it's not at a time, Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific time on Kixie 880 uh, AM in Seattle, there are other opportunities. For you to listen to it, I'm really excited that every Wednesday, starting this week, at 6 a.m. there's a replay of this show on KKNW in Seattle, 11:50 a.m. So, you, you, if you're driving to work at 6 a.m., spend an hour with me. Uh, it'll be my Monday episode replayed on Wednesday, and then every Friday night, overnight, actually at 1 a.m. on Saturday mornings, also on KKNW, the show plays again. So if you're one of those late night people <laughs> who on weekend is li- looking for something to listen to uh, on your way home or having just arrived home and putting your feet up before you go to bed, you have an opportunity to listen to me there. It's really exciting to have the opportunity in a big city like this uh, to have those opportunities. And so with that kind of building and those coming along, it's, it got me thinking about how can I build upon the success of this show myself? So appreciative to Hubbard Radio that they're that they believe in the show so much that they're putting it out there like that. So what can I do to keep making it better? And so what I came down to was, was like, what what are the th- what's the one thing with with this show, with the stuff that I do with Tawny, with my book, with my coaching? That was the thing I forgot. I'm a certified Human Potential Coach. With that and my day job, what's what's one I One term, one concept, one thing I can maybe put over all that as an umbrella to, to guide all that or the, the hub at the center for all the spokes to come into to connect to. And on uh, Thursday, it must have been, I think it was Thursday, maybe it was Wednesday, I was simply walking through my house and through the hallway. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the hallway, it hit me. I wasn't even trying to find it, but I put aside all my stuff. I had taken a step away from all the busyness and was just spending time with myself in quiet. And it came to me. And that is one word. Potential. Potential. A word that I use and think about all the time. In fact, in I'm a human potential coach. It's right there. right? And my <laughs> podcast with Tawny that we've been doing for almost two years now is all about that. Is all about potential and the potential we have to grow and move beyond the BS stories that we tell ourselves in our emotional states that just make our lives so much more difficult. Putting my book forward, my book itself is about the potential for us to grow and heal and change and connect. This podcast, a lot of the stories I tell on this show have to do with people, the stories I tell, people reaching their potential or facing choices with their potential. All those things fit together. The sponsor of this show, Airway Science for Kids, is all about helping kids reach their potential, to understand what it is, first of all, and then to explore it and to continue to build. And it's a term that's really wide open. It's really, it can be really nebulous. Are we talking about a potential in a career? Sure. Potential in building a happier uh, life more, with more ease? Sure. Are we talking about different types of growth, spiritual growth, emotional growth? Uh, physical health, overall mental health. Yes, yes, and yes. There's so many things that we could group under that that I suppose if, if things were too broad in my life, it might be too nebulous a term to use as a unifier, but I don't think so in this. And so what does it mean for this show going forward? Well, not necessarily huge changes from what I've done before, but perhaps more of a focus around that idea. Because if you think about it, Potential is something that we are always keeping our eye on in our own life as well as the potential of this event. I talk every week on this show about the war in Ukraine. What's the potential of what that's going to do? (laughs) That's that's a type of potential that we pay attention to. You know, political politics is so much about potential. We talk about it in sports, athletes reaching their potential. We talk about it in raising our kids, our children recognizing and moving towards their potential in these areas. We actually, we actually throw that term around quite a bit, realizing our potential. If you sit back and think about it, it's probably a very common thread in your own life, wondering about your own potential or the potential of a situation to go positively or perhaps negatively, just about anywhere. So why not embrace that? Why not take a close look at that? And I got to thinking that perhaps where some of the shifts can take place in this show, and I get to do that because <laughs> it's my show. Well, some of, those show, some of those changes or adjustments can be to reflect that a little bit more. Okay? And so when we come back from the first break, I'm going to tell you a story, short story that will illustrate this a little bit as our story of the week and then elaborate on that a little bit more, all right? So uh, come on back on this show is all about you. See you in a minute.
0: I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit Airside.org to learn more and to contribute your talents.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You. Talking today about potential as kind of this, this umbrella term that almost everything that I do <laughs> seems to fit under that. Uh, it's, I'm obviously very interested in it. As, as a historian, I'm always really interested in how human beings over time have shown their potential or fallen short or what are the potential of certain actions upon later events, that type of thing also a certified human potential coach i'm interested in helping my clients uh better understand what their potential is uh and where they can go and where maybe they don't want to go so there's that by novel is all about the potential to grow and change and confront ourselves and our past and our past mistakes and i've tried to live my life around that around the potential to grow over time so as a way of embracing all of that on the show. The show going forward is going to be focusing a lot more on stories that illustrate that. Both stories that I tell in here that might be from history, might be from my own life, might be from contemporary events around me, and might also be from guests. I'm going to be bringing on more and more guests in the weeks ahead who are people who are invested and in the midst of these pushes towards their understanding of what their potential, new endeavors or in the middle of middle of transitioning in life or are really swinging for the fences, right? Taking some, taking some bold shots uh, in their life. It's one thing, I think, when we hear about it from people that are very well-known who have done that and have uh, done very well for themselves. It's one reason why we love to hear stories and watch shows uh, and pay tickets, uh, pay money for tickets to go see people who have you know, written a book or have a TV series or a movie star or uh, some sort of celebrity. There's a reason why we like that. The challenge with that, though, as I've seen and I've experienced it, is that sometimes that that whole thing can feel so far away right? because that person has already gone through that and has come around the other side. But what if we started hearing on a weekly basis people who are in the midst of it? I guarantee you there's a lot more of us out there in the midst of trying to reach our potential and move there than people who have, quote unquote, realized it, (laughs) at least in the ways that we might be focusing on. And. that's a commonality. That's a common point of connection. And for a show about connection, what better thing to connect to than this desire we all have to move beyond where we might be at any given moment to grow towards our potential, to move towards it, to act towards it, to build it, pick your, pick your adjective and pick your verb. What better way to do that? So moving forward, going to be doing that and uh, I'm going to be doing some fun things with it uh, it's going to take a little bit of time to build uh, but you'll notice it uh, as we move forward but I'm excited about it and one of the things one of the ways I wanted to illustrate that today was was by telling you today's story and as I sit here reflecting on it I think some of the roots of this may have actually gone back to my previous show my most recent show where I was talking about uh, two men who ended up in very different ways. Being a part of the famous Doolittle Raid during World War II in April of 1942, uh, Ed Saylor, uh, an American airman, and uh, Moon Fun Chin, who was a Chinese uh, airline pilot uh, in China, two very disparate lives, two very very different lives, but ones that were interestingly on parallel tracks. And the thing is, when I told that story, I didn't, I didn't tell you the the, the end until the end. That sounds really weird to say, but. Uh, you had to wait <laughs> for the payoff at the end to see how these things connected. And I received a lot of feedback from, from listeners. Thank you for those of you who reached out and, and told me this, that uh, they enjoyed that, being able to come back and go, oh, that's how this was connected. That got me thinking. And I've had conversations and realizations since then uh, that have led me to this conclusion. So let me tell you a story in that same kind of vein. And it'll be a shorter one since, you know, we're already kind of moving moving things around a little bit today but it's a story from history and i'm going to change the names at the front end of this so it's not clear who these people are um but and i'm going to tell it in a very general sense and then i will give you the particulars on the other end and this is it's actually you could call it a love story but um, that's only a part of it because it was a very short-term love story but it had a very very important role in one person's choices and they're them moving towards their potential. What I see so often in my own life and in the lives of people around me and in history is that moments happen to every person where tough choices have to be made to either move forward or sink down. That there really isn't, even if you sit in one place and don't do anything for a while, you're not really staying in place. Tend to be either moving forward and growing or we tend to be stagnating and declining, right? I think of uh, the great line, um, Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption, where he says at a very pivotal point in the movie, I guess it comes down to a simple choice really, get busy living or get busy dying. I think there's a lot of truth to that, or at least there has been in my experience and certainly in, in the experience of all the people that I have studied in history uh, and the people that I know that it tends to be that way. Well, this is a story that that illustrates that. And the names I've changed, just so you can kind of connect with the story first, because there's some commonality there. It's a short love story. This is a story of Ben and Beth. Ben and Beth met when Ben was about 24 years old. And Beth was just a couple of years younger than that. And they met in Kentucky and Ben had had a very, they had very different lives. Beth was from a pretty well-to-do family from actually the East, Eastern part of the United States originally. And they had moved to Kentucky uh, when she was a teenager and she wasn't very, very happy about it. But the family was pretty well off, pretty well connected in uh, both business and in politics. whereas Ben. Hadn't grown up connected at all. In fact, from the outside looking in, if you didn't know any of the real specifics about Ben's life, you'd say, "Wow, this guy's got the deck stacked against him." Uh, he was born into poverty, just about, and uh, his father was a, a not a really good guy. wasn't kind to Ben or to his siblings, and there was a great disconnect that emerged between. Ben and his father, as time went by. Ben's mother also didn't have, shall we say, the best reputation in some circles. And so there had been questions asked throughout most of Ben's life, and he was very aware of them from a very early age, that he might be the illegitimate child, not even of his father, but of somebody else. And this being Kentucky, that could be fairly scandalous. And it was something that for Ben, was really difficult early on in his life. And all those things taken together, growing up in poverty, not knowing uh, where sometimes where next meals were going to come from, having a father who was really rough with him, um, a mother who had questions about her, her reputation, but also died fairly early in his life. And so he was, Ben was deprived of that as well. He had to really lean into deciding whether or not he was going to go the route of so many others, not just in in his area, but anywhere, in falling into resentment, uh, self-destructive behavior, you name it. Well, instead, he invested in what a lot of people do in situations like that, um, connecting with other people and garnering the attention of other people. Ben became really focused on catching people's attention, making them laugh with stories, um, but also inspiring them with his ability to just about recite anything verbatim after he heard it. He simply had a, I guess we would call it a photographic memory now. But that's what he did, and he seemed to crave that validation. And it was very external. A little later in life, he actually saw, he was actually part of military service. And he led a small military unit uh, in a very small uh, war in which he saw a number of his friends get killed. And it was something that stayed with him uh, for his life. And not long after that, he met Beth. And Beth had moved into the area. And Beth was uh, some, a person that everybody noticed. Uh, so Ben wasn't the only one. To notice this woman who these days we would say, from the other side of the tracks, right you had the the well-off, the well-off girl, the poverty-stricken boy, right? It's kind of this, kind of this narrative that we've all maybe heard before. And usually um, those things aren't supposed to work out, right? In this case, though, what was interesting was Ben was very much interested in Beth, but so seemingly was everybody else in this town. Uh, it was outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And all of a sudden, she was receiving a lot of interest from, um, from other men in particular. And to the point where she ended up getting engaged to another uh, young man about Ben's age, but someone who had moved in, again, also from the East Coast, from New York City, had moved in and was making a lot of money in the area in, uh, in ranching. And... The idea was this guy was up and coming. We'll call him Hank. (laughs) He doesn't matter as much as the others. But anyway, Hank and Beth got engaged. And it was something that Ben knew about, wasn't happy about, but also didn't think necessarily his prospects were enough that he could convince her to go out with him instead. So Hank and Beth got engaged. But before they were going to get married, Hank said, Hank admitted to her, that he hadn't been fully honest about his past. In fact, he was using an assumed name. Hank wasn't his real name. <laughs> and he had done that because he was trying to get away from his family in New York, make his way in the world, in the rural part of the country, in ranching. And once he had made a name for himself, then he could go get his, the family members that he wanted with him and bring them back to Kentucky. He didn't want his family coming after him when he was still up and coming. He was worried he would get stuck, he would lose his money, that type of thing. Beth was a little mm, nonplussed, but at the same time was willing to wait for him to go to New York, for Hank to go to New York, gather up his family, and come back. Well, long story short, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that Hank wasn't coming back. That for whatever reason, whether it was second second thoughts or family pressures or maybe ill intentions in the first place, uh, Hank wasn't going to be coming back. And rumors of that had built up in this small town and they reached Ben's ears. And so Ben decided, what the hell? Let me see what I can do. And so he approached Beth and began to court her, I guess you could say. And eventually, as she was waiting to hear more from Hank, she became more willing to be open to instead marrying Ben. Ben knew, though, that he wasn't really the first choice. It was evident to anybody that Ben's prospects in terms of making money, making his way in the world, were not necessarily that great. He'd had to take on, he'd done that military service, but he'd also taken on odd jobs that had taken him up and down the Mississippi River. And he'd seen quite a bit of the American frontier in that sense, all up and down the Mississippi. He'd been to New Orleans. He'd been shocked by some of the things he'd seen there, as rural eyes would be in a city like that. But nevertheless, it wasn't. he didn't seem to be all that stable and grounded and be able to effectively take care of perhaps a wife and family. But nevertheless... Beth became fond enough of Ben that she agreed to marry him as soon as she heard one way or the other, which she assumed would be the other, from Hank. Eventually, she realized Hank wasn't going to happen and she agreed to marry Ben. Ben was thrilled because Ben was absolutely smitten with Beth. All his friends knew it, they were all thrilled for him. He was, uh, and it w- she certainly, uh, seemed to light him up wherever they went. And she was Ben's favorite subject. And for him, it seemed like just a wonderful miracle. And then things turned. In when Ben was 26 years old, Beth became ill. And they didn't quite know what it was at first. Seems like a fever. She became um, hot to the touch, flushed, um, feverish, had difficulty um, staying conscious. And within just a few days, with Ben at her side for the last part of it, which Beth insisted, Beth's condition deteriorated, and she died. The tender age of 24. Ben, to put it mildly, was devastated. It had seemed a cruel joke, he said to one friend, that over his whole life um, to find this person, who he loved more than he thought he could love anyone or anything, have that promise of marriage and spending his life with her to have her just die and die in so cruel a fashion. And Ben sunk into a very, very deep depression. So much so that his friends became outrightly concerned for him and refused to leave him alone. They would stay with him at his house. They would go with him to work. They would make sure somebody was with him if he was going to restaurants or going out on jobs somewhere. And Ben was known sometimes to simply be walking somewhere and stop in the middle of his walk and begin to cry, sit down in the middle of the street. Many years later, even though his life had changed quite a bit by then, his friend said every once in a while, Beth's name would come up and the same thing would happen. He would sit down, and one friend said he put his hands over his face. He began to cry to the point where you could see tears coming out from behind his hands. Everyone who knew Ben was concerned that he was not going to recover from this. It just seemed like one cruel blow after another. Born out of poverty, struggling to get out of it. Mother died when he was young. Father disconnected and distant, not kind. Family strained. Prospects dim. It seemed very cruel. And so his friends were rightly worried about him. And in the end, Ben faced a significant choice to either fade, to lose himself in that grief, which any of you who have gone through grief of any kind will know is a very real feeling sometimes. You get lost in it. that You might not ever come out. It's a fear. He could succumb to that or he could find a way to push forward out of that towards a potentially better life to learn from it. Well, obviously, I've hinted enough at this that you know that Ben made a choice to keep moving well what you might find interesting when you come back after the break <laughs> is to find out who Ben actually is and what this meant. Because while this is a story that sounds very, very familiar and maybe feels familiar and you know people who've gone through similar things or face similar things, uh, I think you'll be really interested in seeing who this is and what this meant for him going forward. So come on back on this show is all about you and I'll give you the kicker.
0: Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airside.org that's A I R S C I.org or email info at airside.org airway science for kids, providing aerospace for all.
1: Welcome back everyone to this show is all about you. Uh, I left you on a cliffhanger before the break, the story of Beth and Ben, not their real names. Um, sort of one of those love stories that comes together and seems to be going in a really good direction. But then um, Beth died very suddenly of illness, leaving Ben devastated to the point of despondency and concern from his friends that he would take his own life uh, or simply just stop living in any way other than just physically. And it was something that Ben himself in later years, which gives you a hint of what choices he made, but later years said this was a incredibly important moment in his life. He'd certainly known hardship. He'd certainly known grief before with the loss of his mother and uh, being estranged from his father and the struggles involved in living hand to mouth and trying to make your way in the world. And despite some successes, uh, he'd become prominent in local politics, for example, uh, for a time. He was somebody who still was really crippled by self-doubt and concerns about, uh, his ability to continue to bring in the connection and the attention and to do the good that he really wanted to do in the world. And so this period of time uh, was crucial in his life. It's time to let you know who I'm actually talking about. Okay, so I'm going to give you some hints. The year we're actually talking about is 1835. was the year that Beth died. And Beth's name was in Beth. Beth's real name was Ann Rutledge. And the Rutledge families who I was talking about moving from the East Coast to Lexington, Kentucky. You may have guessed by now who the other person is, but in case you haven't, Ben is Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Who became the 16th president of the United States. uh, Who many consider to be the greatest president in American history. Certainly is one of the most important uh, because, of course, he presided over the Civil War. And his thoughts about the evils of slavery, the importance of uh, healing, forgiveness, providence, union, (laughs) have inspired people long since his death after his assassination in 1865. This was a full 30 years before that fateful day at Ford's Theater at the end of the Civil War. And the point here of telling you this story First of all, is to point out that it's really easy when we think about great people, quote unquote, to think that they were always destined to get there, or to think it was just you know that maybe it, they're, because they became great, they aren't really they at some point cease to be human in any way that we can connect with. And if you spent any part of that story about Ben and Beth connecting with the feelings and the maybe the c- certain elements of the scenario, it's a wonderful way to take a look at somebody like Abraham Lincoln and go, wow, yeah, this guy really did live a very human life. All the things that I said about him are true. There were questions about his legitimacy of his birth with his father and mother. And it hounded him for his whole life. He was very, very uh, self-conscious about it. He grew up in poverty. He moved into local politics. He self-taught himself law. He To make ends meet, he worked... Um, he worked various travel routes along the Mississippi River. And what he saw in New Orleans, I hinted at difficult things in that city. It wasn't what that city is famous for now that bothered him. It was the fact that he, it seems that he saw slave auctions happening there. And there was a good possibility that he saw slaves move through his, where he lived in Kentucky. And it was something he said he considered to be a lifetime scourge in his mind, that he was against it. So he witnessed all of these things and then trying to make his way in what was decidedly a very cruel world. He has the situation with Ann Rutledge come up and then she dies. And he nearly falls apart. So what did he do? In the end, Abraham Lincoln kept going on one level. He'd been effectively prepared for the grind that it was going to take to keep moving through such a profound loss. He'd experienced loss before. He'd experienced hardship his whole life. He wasn't exactly, by his own admission, (laughs) and by pretty much everybody else's admission at the time and ever since, wasn't the most attractive of men. He was tall, gangly, awkward. People thought he had a strange voice. But they also found him very affable very likable, very kind, very sensible, even when people didn't disagree with him, and very patient. Some recognized that some of that was wanting to get acceptance from others, but also some people also saw that as he didn't have any desire to needlessly antagonize anyone either. He was kind-hearted in a lot of ways and also ambitious. And he faced that dilemma with ambition that all of us can face. To what degree are we looking to do good with that ambition, and to what degree are we looking for validation from the outside on our value and our worth? He never resolved that for the rest of his life, even after he met his eventual wife, Mary Todd, and had children, and became more prominent in national politics, and then presided over the worst crisis the country had ever seen up until that point, and one of the worst crises it's ever faced. He was decidedly human. And greatness was something that emerged out of the combination of the circumstances around him, the opportunities that that gave him, the choices that he made, and the temperament that he had developed around his experience earlier in life. And any biographer of Lincoln will talk about the loss of Ann Rutledge as key in Lincoln's life. Once he was able to start putting one foot in front of the other again with a lot of help from his friends, Lincoln threw himself into his political work, into learning more about the law, self-taught lawyer. That's pretty incredible. Taking on cases of all kinds, everything from uh, property law to disputes, criminal law, anything he could do to make ends meet. He campaigned for national politicians running for president, Henry Clay and others in the Whig Party, which at the time was what he was affiliated with. Eventually, a splinter of that becomes the Republican Party. And, of course, in the 1850s, when running for Senate in Illinois, faced off with Stephen Douglas in a series of eight different debates over the rightness or wrongness of slavery and helped make Lincoln a national name. But all of these things, all of his positions, came from an accumulation of his experience, his knowledge, and his responses in large part to what happened after Ann Rutledge died. In some way, shape, or form, a way that was decidedly not perfect, would not necessarily match up with what we would say would be the healthiest reason psychologically, or mentally, to choose to do things, he kept pushing forward and f- continued to make meaning and find meaning in what he was doing. He focused on the injustices that he saw around him, slavery being the major one. He continued to be concerned about increasing his political standing. Mary Todd's family had better standing in the political. An economic world than he did. So it was moving up in the world by marrying into her family, although they definitely did love one another. But all that fit together and Lincoln found a way and it was through a lot of hard work, through a lot of speaking engagements that for a lot of years he did in relative obscurity. He was known in certain circles he served a two-year term in the House of Representatives at one point, so he made more of a name for himself in Illinois by the time he moved there. And, but it took time. He didn't become a truly nationally known name until the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which were a full 20-plus years after Ann Rutledge died. And he didn't become a real, real, real national figure until he was nominated by the Republican Party in the 1860 presidential election. Up against three others, who, when when they all ran against one another, Lincoln came out on top by a very small margin, a plurality, and he wasn't even on the ballot in the southern states because the southern states said, Lincoln is anti-slavery, so we're not going to elect him. So he didn't even appear on the ballots down there, but he still won. And right after his election, in the meantime between his... Election Day and his Inauguration Day, a number of southern states began the process of seceding from the Union, making a war, civil war, all but inevitable. And it raises the question, to me at least, man, first of all, what if he doesn't come out of that despair? Who is it that steps into the situation in 1860 through 1865? It is hard to imagine the Civil War going the way that it did and the country staying together based on not just some nebulous other person, but on all the other candidates at the time, potential candidates at the time. Who could have stepped in to maybe do what he did? We'll never know, of course. But man, it was really important that he did. That he made choices long before, as Abraham Lincoln long before anyone else really knew him as Abraham Lincoln if you understand the difference I'm making there. He came from a series of choices. To keep moving towards what he truly saw was really his potential to really do good in the world. He worked really hard at it. In his case, maybe that's the lesson. To keep working hard. Hard to tell, how this affected him emotionally, he was, pretty, he was prone to big bouts of melancholy for a lot of his life, but particularly after Ann Rutledge died. And so that emotional heaviness never seemed to leave him. But he clearly found a way to help it at least coexist with that strong, positive belief in the justness of his cause and the cause of others who wanted to see slavery abolished and his willingness to make really tough choices in the midst of the civil war that he knew were going to be very unpopular, even sometimes among people on his own side to do that. All those ingredients together created a man who knew hardship, knew how to keep moving through it, knew it was going to be difficult. In fact, he knew little else than it would be difficult and still had a crystallized focused vision at least in a general sense in a broad sense of the rightness in his mind of his position on slavery on the union of the country and an awareness that the rest of the world was indeed watching when we when we distill all this back down into that moment and it's obviously not just around one moment around ann rutledge it's a series of moments and it's a series of crises and a series of challenges that required him to continue to make these choices time and time again this is just one of the bigger ones that i'm talking about today but that's seemingly what we all face those moments those opportunities those times we're stepping towards our potential is coming from a place of real difficulty in fact That might be the only times we can really take those steps. I don't know. i got to spend more time thinking about that. But when I think about the results of choices coming out of really difficult circumstances, Abraham Lincoln is oftentimes the first person I think of. And that's why I wanted to tell you that story today. Because while we may not know what it's like, what it could have been like, we can't know what it could have been like to be the 16th president Administering rule during a civil war, a lot of us have a better understanding on a connected emotional level of what it feels like to have an estranged relationship with a parent or to lose one early in life or to struggle socially, to struggle economically compared to your peers and what that can do and the doubts that can creep up, to love deeply and then to lose it, to have sudden catastrophes, to sink deep into an emotional muck that sometimes we wonder if we'll ever get out of, we can certainly better connect with that. And I find that, in the big scheme of things, comforting and inspiring. Not because I think that I'm on the verge, or anybody, any one of us, or anybody I know is going to be the next Dave Lincoln. There won't be another Abe Lincoln, but because it means we can take steps to end up somewhere else and to keep doing that time and time again, to realize more of what our potential is. And then once we do that, to maybe find some more, grow towards some more. Seems to me what drives us most often in life is exactly that. All right. All right. So that's why I wanted to tell you that story today. Um, and that gives you a sense of where I'm at as well. You can hear more of things like that in the, in the episodes coming, as well as bringing in guests who can tell us about their battle and their moving toward their potential. i really excited to see what that looks like uh, in the coming weeks, so, so stay tuned. All right, so with that in mind, thank you for joining me for this episode of this show is all about you remember you can find out more about me on my website wordsbyjdk.com you can also look me up at facebook instagram and twitter and you can reach me there if you have any questions about the show any suggestions for topics if you know somebody who's pushing towards their potential and you think they would be a really good guest get them connected to me i would love to chat with them maybe bring them on the show in the meantime This show is all about you is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thank you so much, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airsci.org. The original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode. All that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Dean Cameron, Isabel Gallegos, Kathy Lewis, Ann Foster, Phil McCoy, Ashley Nebel, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. A couple of other thank yous. Special thanks to the Seattle Kraken. Thank you so much for bringing playoff hockey to Seattle in only your second year. And I don't know what it is, Denver, but we're beating you in everything, seemingly, these days. I'm not sure what that's about. I'm going to try not to gloat because turnabout is fair play. But thank you so much to the Kraken for making things exciting. Um, and thank you also, Denver, for not banning us from coming to visit you, which is really good because my sister and brother-in-law my niece and nephew live there, so I want to I want to come into the state. And of course, thank you to listeners, all you listeners. Thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to send you off for the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. Our potential can only be realized if we act on it now. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>